On today's episode of Locked On Suns, we get a little closer to understanding DeAndre Ayton's trade market and how his future in Phoenix might look. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen. It is free agency week. Happy Wednesday. Happy late Tuesday night. We're free and available everywhere, so if you're finding us for the first time, hit follow, hit subscribe, get this show in your feed every single day. Get locked on to the Phoenix Suns and become an everydayer to get the lowdown on this team all throughout the offseason every single day and beyond into next season. And hopefully, you never know, by the time the Suns win their first championship in franchise history. We're going to talk Aiton today, as we have several times, so let's dive in. DeAndre Aiton was apparently involved in some talks with the Dallas Mavericks on draft night, but it was not the number 10 overall pick. It was not Josh Green or anybody like that. It was none of the premier assets that Dallas can offer. They actually still have all of those. They made their pick. They traded back, but they made their pick, and they actually acquired an additional first-round pick. So they still have their big move to make. Maybe it eventually ends up being Aiton as one of those trades, but it did not happen, of course, and it looks like the Suns are going to keep him. Nevertheless, the offer that was made tells us a lot. And so let's get into what it actually was now that I've told you what it was not. Tim Hardaway Jr., JaVale McGee, and the newly acquired Rashawn Holmes. That was the trade that was proposed, that was discussed. And apparently what the Suns balked at was the JaVale McGee part of it. That's a little interesting to me, first and foremost. I guess they just don't need that many centers. I I don't feel like JaVale left on bad terms. I very well could be wrong. He does tend to bounce around, but a lot of the guys on the Golden State team really seem to like him, and the Lakers team as well. I believe he's actually somewhat close with Kevin Durant, so I don't think it would have been a personal thing. I guess it was just maybe they want to sign Jock Landale back and Maybe Bismack Biombo and maybe some Durant at the five, and then having Holmes and McGee just would have been too much at the salaries that those guys make, which is a combined $20 million. I'm not really sure. I would have said no to all of it, period, personally, and I'll tell you why. I know that sounds crazy because I've been advocating for the Suns to keep DeAndre Ayton, or sorry, to trade DeAndre Ayton. I, I, I'm fully on board with doing a deal, and I've talked to you about a lot of the ones that I would say yes to. Um, The reason I would say no to this is, to me, a DeAndre Ayton trade needs to fulfill two requirements. Number one, no untradeable deals. Okay? You don't want to acquire any contracts that are going to be... that are going to put a damper on on what you're trying to build going forward or even have a risk of, of becoming that. Because remember... 
part of what the Suns are dealing with with DeAndre Ayton right now and part of what they might worry about having to deal with in the future is outside of draft night of the years in which they have these swaps, which remember that still means they will have a pick. It'll just be not their own. Those draft nights, they'll be able to trade those picks or the players that they draft. But aside from that, they basically don't have any picks. So you can acquire a Tim Hardaway Jr. Maybe he's fine this upcoming season. I don't think he will be. I think the injury was one too many, and he was never a great defensive player in the first place. I don't think he's a playoff player at this point in his career. Not just guessing that. It's kind of proven to be that way. Um, you had you know Reggie Bullock playing over him. Uh, that, that a lot in the past few years, and those wings, Dorian Finney-Smith and Bullock, that was the best version of their team, not the Tim Hardaway Jr. version. So his contract could very well be uh, fine this year, but maybe becomes untradeable next year, or maybe he's just a, a dead weight as soon as this season, and that's in a lot of money, 18 and then 16. It does go down, which is nice, but who cares? The Suns aren't going to have cap space either way. JaVale McGee, I don't know about untradeable, but again, you're looking at $6 million each of the next two years. That doesn't exactly feel great. And then Rashawn Holmes is uh, in a similar camp. I, I just, I think he's probably the best part of that trade, but also he's not a defensive center. And you're looking at $12 million and then $13 million. Is he going to be the anchor of a Frank Vogel defense? I kind of doubt that. So I'm not surprised the Sun said no to this. The untradeable contracts is one part of it. The second requirement to me is you want at least one guaranteed rotation player. And as I was going through the contract part of that, obviously these things are connected. A tradable contract, a rotation player, those things tend to go hand in hand. I'm not sure you're getting one guaranteed playoff rotation player in that trade. And so that would worry me as well. You're, you're, you're potentially looking at a situation where, yes, you break up DeAndre Ayton into three players, which is a nice thing. Obviously, that's kind of the point here. But if you're looking at 0 for 3 in terms of rotation guys and potentially, you know, one or two contracts that look pretty bad in the not too distant future, it's very easy to see why the Sun said no. But bigger picture than that, what this shows us is what DeAndre Ayton's market is. And I don't want to take a victory lap just for the sake of taking a victory lap, but People who have been here, you know, talking about Wendell Carter Jr. or talking about Josh Green from Dallas or talking about Miles Turner, TJ McConnell, Atlanta, you could go Clint Capella, you could go, I don't, it doesn't even matter. No one on Atlanta's roster, straight up, that, that's a realistic trade possibility who makes a legitimate amount of money. I would not trade any player on Atlanta's roster for DeAndre Ayton, if I'm Atlanta, if I'm the Hawks is where I'm coming from here. Not John Collins is gone now, but not Clint Capella, not DeAndre Hunter, not Onyeka Okongwu, not Sadiq Bey, not any of their other A.J. Griffin, Jalen Johnson, none, none of them. I would not trade any of those players for DeAndre Ayton if I'm Atlanta. And, and you look at this, this offer that seemed to be one of the best that the Suns could do in addition to the Tobias Harris thing. I don't know how real that ever was, but obviously it was discussed. And now this, you're looking at what the reality is, which is inconsistent players on questionable contracts. Even if you're getting more than one, which theoretically is nice for your depth, that's what you're getting. 
This trade, the, the Dallas trade that was uh, apparently on the table, which I want to credit Mark Stein. I don't think I've said that yet. He got this, these details. This trade filled neither of my requirements. And a lot of these other ones that would fill those requirements just are not going to be on the table. And so maybe the Suns' best bet is that Dallas, yes, they drafted Derek Lively, but if they're not content with what else they're able to go out and do, I'm not sure if a Clint Capella trade is still on the table for Dallas now that the draft pick stuff isn't there because I don't think Atlanta really wants to take any salary back. If, if Dallas strikes out on their center options, but they're able to bring back Kyrie and upgrade in other ways and they need a center badly, maybe you're looking at a situation where instead of Tim Hardaway Jr., can you get Reggie Bullock, who also fell off a bit last year, but I think I, I buy as, a, as a, a real player a little bit more. Could you get Maxi Kleba? You know, it depends. I don't think they're going to part ways with Kleba very easily. He's one of the better switchable, versatile big men in the NBA, and he only makes $11 million the next three years. But that's where I think you start to look. Can you pry Jaden Hardy from them? Can you pry Josh Green? And I think the answer is probably no, but it's at least worth exploring because it might be the Suns' only option. On the topic of DeAndre Ayton, Frank Vogel gave an interview to Bickley and Murata on 98.7 Arizona Sports this morning. Let's discuss why I really do believe that Frank Vogel defensively can put Ayton at another level and why offense is not ever going to be the place to focus with DA this season. First, today's show brought to you by eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. Really perfect timing for eBay to be here with us since we're talking so much about free agency and DeAndre Ayton. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts or accessories, head to eBay Motors. With their eBay guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop at eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right price at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Coming back, Frank Vogel, I'll read you the quote. On Arizona Sports this morning, he said, I think you can definitely reach all players. Players have to be inspired. And he was asked directly about it, and this is not just general. Have to be inspired and have to feel good about their roles and have to feel good about coming to work every day. If you create those types of situations for a player, the effort and motor piece come naturally. I've seen DeAndre play with extreme effort. I've seen him play at a near all-star level, quite frankly. I know it's there. Obviously, he's had some bumps in the road along the way, but we're at a point right now with a fresh start that I feel like he's going to have a great season for us. So what's funny about that is it's not very different from what Monty Williams would have said, right? And when you think about it that way, you can kind of extrapolate out a couple of different things. One, well, damn, if Aiton was, sorry, if Monty was a guy brought in in, in part with the direct motivation and, and kind of a job of creating a culture then, and even he couldn't get 38 to Aiton, then what's, what's up? How are you expecting Vogel who, 
you know, his reputation is much more of, I do think he's more of a, of a laid back players coach than maybe he gets credit for. I think he's a guy who sort of, it appears to me just from obviously the Lakers era being very high profile and just being, you know, getting to hear from him a little bit since he took the job. It does seem like his general demeanor is sort of like, we all know why we're here. I'm going to come to work every day assuming that all my players are, are here to win and, and, and commit and execute. And I'm not going to, you know, innocent until proven guilty type of thing, which I think can have its own impact. But Vogel's not brought in with the express purpose being, you know, motivating, right? He's coming to coach three guys in their prime that are max level players in Beal, Booker, and Durant to try to win a championship. So it's not like he's coming in here to be the motivator, whereas Monty was. So if Aiton couldn't get motivated by the motivator, how's he going to get motivated by the, the laid back guy? Okay. The other way you could look at it is that the motivation is secondary, I guess, right? And I think there's a difference between motivation and empowerment, right? And it's interesting because there's a lot of people that I think the 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 disconnect between Aiton publicly and Aiton on the court is one of the most bizarre parts of all of this, right? And sometimes he says some says things that you genuinely don't know whether he is intentionally trying to block out what's out there and, and kind of play dumb with the, the perception of him or if he genuinely is confused by it. And I, I think it's a combination of both. But I think that there are times where Aiton, and you guys can think I'm full of crap or not. I understand this guy is a, is a third rail, but we have to talk about him and these are my genuine opinions from covering him. And I hope that counts for something because... It's, it's different, and I'm speaking from having asked him direct questions and hearing his answers on a lot of these things. I'm not just talking out of my you-know-what, okay? I'm not just guessing. It does feel to me that there are times when Aiton, honest to God, feels confused by the reaction to his play relative to what is being asked of him. And I think coming off of the Dallas series and the way that the 2022 season ended where they were favorites to win the title, best season ever in franchise history, and they fall on their butts. It was about at that point where I think he started to say, F it, you know? And I don't, I'm not defending that mentality. But I think that's about where the relationship between him and Monty and just the situation within the team started to hit rock bottom. And I think there were times when around that, that point in time and through this past season that just ended where he would get asked about this stuff and kind of feel like, and give, give quotes, give answers to the extent, to, to the effect of I'm doing my job. And I understand fans heard that as, well, no, you're not. Because even when you say you're doing your job, you put up stat lines like 10 and eight and your, your disappearing act during games is, is just blatantly obvious, and you're a reason the team is not winning. There's obviously points in the season during the middle of this past year where the, the opportunity was golden and right there for him to take 
the season by the horns and and really engage and do something because players were injured and the team was in a lull and everything else. And he did not do that. So I'm not here to say that he he even was filling that role or even that he should accept just what his role was. But I do think there was a little bit of reading between the lines there that can come into effect where you look at what he's doing and he's saying, this is all I'm supposed to do, right? You know, and again, I hear all the arguments of the guy makes $30 million. The guy was the number one overall pick. It's not up to everyone in that building to hand everything to him on a silver platter and make him feel gushy and lovey and happy and, and fulfilled every day. It's his job to do that. That's part of being a professional, no matter what your walk of life is. I don't always want to sit here and do this podcast, but it's no, it, it's not anybody at Locked On or Tegna's job to call me and say, Brendan, you know, you're you're really good at this. You know, just do the show. Your your, your listeners want to hear. The fans want to hear what's up. It, it'll really work out. Nobody does that, right? I get it. And I don't make $30 million doing this. I'm not defending the, the mentality, but to come full circle with the word that I used a minute ago, which is in empowerment and engagement are different than motivation. I don't think Vogel's job and I don't think his focus will be motivating. But I do think that defensively, what he can do is potentially going to make a big difference, okay? And what I mean by that is change what the job is, give Aiton a job, be a little bit more creative with it, and you might at least get one great season out of him. And that's all you need. If you look back to 2020, 2021, Aiton was coming off of a suspension in Monty's first year, a missed COVID test in the bubble, and a pretty inconsistent up and down year where at times Monty wanted to play Aaron Baines next to him and Frank Kaminsky next to him because he just did not trust Aiton to be the only big on the court and everything else. He follows that up with the best season of his career in the third year of his career. And I understand, okay, he's on his way to extension talks and Chris Paul's there and all that stuff. And you're not always going to get all those built-in things. But look, new coach, championship on the table, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul gone, and a defensive scheme that if you think back to what Aiden, what Vogel was able to do with Anthony Davis, who I understand is a superior talent to DeAndre Ayton, but he was very creative with him in those early seasons with the Lakers when Anthony Davis was healthy. Blitzing, trapping, switching, uh, dropping into the paint, weak side, in the action, isolation on wings and guards, all of these different things that, that, that Vogel was empowered to try, and well, I shouldn't say empowered there, that Vogel tried that were there to empower Anthony Davis to become what realistically and legitimately has become one of the best defenders in the entire NBA. And I don't know if that happens without Vogel, to be completely honest. It opened up new possibilities for what Anthony Davis could be as a defender. Can that not happen with Aiton right now, this year? I don't see why it can't, right? And so when I read those quotes, players have to be inspired and have to feel good about their roles you have to create those types of situations for a player and the effort and motor will come naturally. 
I've seen DeAndre play with extreme effort. I've seen it. It's there. I've seen him play at a, at a near all-star level. I don't think it's insane if your offer is JaVale, Rashawn Holmes, and Tim Hardaway to bet on that. Because there's a difference between motivation and empowerment. And Vogel sounds like he's going to focus on the second one and has as good of a shot as anyone to empower DeAndre Ayton in the right ways. Let's close out the show with some more, a closer look at more realistic veteran minimum options for the Suns because we're hearing about a workout, the summer league roster is coming into focus, and we're getting a little more clarity on guarantees and options around the NBA that the Suns could dive into, swoop down on, and pry guys loose from their current teams. We'll get into all of those possibilities next. First, another quick break. The Suns are hosting a workout this week, which I'm sure you may have heard about by now. It's some decently well-known names coming to Phoenix. It never sounds great to have a workout when you're a professional sports team. It makes me think of, uh, crap, what is the Mark Wahlberg movie with the Eagles guy that, that got the that got the contract from the Eagles and he was on special teams and everything. You don't, you don't love if you're talking about Disney movie stuff for a guy that you want to maybe, to maybe be like your eighth man. But the players are interesting. Before we get to that, Ish Wainwright was guaranteed on Tuesday. So that is one more player. It's a minimum deal. It's nothing, nothing huge. It's not affecting much, but a player who now obviously has familiarity. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's another guy who we feel differently about when he is brought into the, the Vogel defensive system uh, versus what he was doing, you know, with Monty, right? I mean, Wainwright was really like a kind of help defender, big body with Monty. There wasn't a lot creatively done there, but... What I'm interested in is if they switch more, what can Wainwright do? But also just size. You know, Vogel's, Vogel's going to be even more aggressive about taking away the paint than Monty was. And Wainwright, with his strength and IQ, I think can be a, an addition there. In a similar vein, Stanley Johnson is probably the name I'm most intrigued by when it comes to... Um, this workout. Now, I went back and forth with someone on Twitter, shout out to Jacob, uh, about Quindary Weatherspoon, who is another guy coming. And I, I'm intrigued by Weatherspoon just because he hasn't really gotten a shot in the NBA. And I'm always kind of like a sucker for potential and question marks and maybes, maybe a little more than just the sure thing. Stanley Johnson had a, a, his best season under Vogel in LA. And what he brings is similar. It's strength and it is defensive intensity. I think strength is underrated in the NBA. I think functional strength, the ability to actually body people in meaningful ways on the basketball court, whether that is getting guys off their spots, whether that is fighting through screens, rebounding. If you can use strength to your advantage as a basketball player, it can go a long way. And Stanley Johnson, that's probably the best thing about him. Jabari Parker is also going to be at this workout. Also somewhat strong, uh, but more of an offensive player guy who doesn't really have a, a great position in the modern NBA. I'm not positive if I could be sold on a Jabari Parker reunion, but he did settle into a real role later in his career. He was on a team as recently as last season with the, the final Celtics team. 
And he's not the guy who's just there to get his as much anymore. I just don't fully believe that he is necessarily, uh, you know, the guy for this Suns team. I'm not sure if he gives them what they need. Let's go to uh, options and guarantees next, and then we'll close out with a couple of summer league guys. So it sounds like Danilo Gallinari will get bought out. From uh, He was traded in the... Porzingis deal. I just don't know if he has much left. He is about to be 35. He did not play all of last season with the torn ACL. And he never was much of a defensive difference maker anyway, right? And so the defense, it's just going to be a big liability. Could he come here and, and be a spot up guy in the regular season and make a lot of threes and, you know, just be a smart offensive player, maybe take advantage of, you know, some, some weaker opponents, get a, get a few extra baskets here and there against benches and stuff. Sure. I don't hate it, but not fully sold on him being a guy that is going to do much more than that. Still a veteran and better than a lot of the other options. Like would I take Gallinari over Jabari Parker? I probably would. A couple of other names. It sounds like Torian Prince may get bought out by Minnesota. He is fully non-guaranteed, which means the $7.5 million he's owed, is, is he'd get zero of it if he was bought out. I think that he is at least a taxpayer mid-level guy, you know, in the $5, 6000000 million range. But the thing you have to remember, and John Gambadoro has been reporting this, and I think you've heard it other places. I believe Mike Scotto might have put something out there to this effect from Hoop, Hoops Hype. The thing you have to remember is the Suns are not only offering, oh, come win your ring. That's one thing. Okay, nice. Good to see. But this is not just for Tracy McGrady on the 2014 Spurs, right? This is a legitimate opportunity to play for a team that is wanting to win a championship. And so this is Prince is kind of the perfect encapsulation of, of what the Suns how much gravity and, and, and attractiveness the Suns really have in this free agent market when it comes to minimum deals and, and that type of thing. Is three-ish million dollars, two to three million dollars, but the opportunity to be a real difference maker, a, a sixth man type of guy for a bonafide championship contender where you really have a shot to win and really have a shot to play. Is that more valuable than $6 million from a mediocre team? I don't know, but I'm, it's not a full no, right? And Prince is somebody that I would look at. Maybe he already has an agreement elsewhere. Like, this stuff is all hypothetical until Friday when everything starts flying and we all feel like crazy lunatics for thinking any of this stuff was possible. But that's an interesting one. Similar vein, Kelly Olynyk. He is partially guaranteed at, I think, only like $2 million of his 12. But they just traded for John Collins. They already have Walker Kessler coming up. They have uh, Taylor Hendricks, who's a forward as well, and obviously Lowry Markkinen. I don't know if they have space for Kelly Olynyk, and I don't know what purpose he really serves that he's a good passer. But other than that, I don't know what he really does that Collins, Markkinen, Kessler, those guys aren't doing. You know, Collins and, and Markkinen can shoot. Seems like Taylor Hendricks can shoot. Defensively, Olenek's Linux not doing much for you. So if the Suns, he's a similar guy where it's like he's getting his $2 million even if he does get bought out. 
So maybe that helps, you know, even if you take a minimum, that's you're getting up to close to five already at that point. And that's about what the taxpayer mid-level is. But I think he would maybe play. I would probably be a four-man for this Suns team more than a five-man. But maybe with Durant, he could be a five-man. A couple more names here that I'm a little, like, that I'm not as con- as convinced will actually get bought out or have their options decline, but are on somewhat expensive teams who you could see it. Eric Gordon, non-guaranteed fully. $20 million, depending on what the Clippers do, and we know that they're already looking at, at different things. They wanted to bring Malcolm Brogdon in. It might not make sense to have Gordon at that number, and if he gets bought out, we know the Suns have liked him before. Jericho Sims, backup center option in New York. Maybe he's not much better than a Wenyan Gabriel. Uh, I think he is better than that. Or, uh, you know, Bismack Biombo or a Jock Landell, guys that I've brought up before. Um... Chetty Osman from the Cavs, they kind of need him, but if they make some other moves and it doesn't make sense to keep him, good shooter, not much else, but fine. The Suns could use a guy like that. I mean, not unlike Gallinari. Mike Muscala is on a four-ish, five-ish million dollar deal, and I don't know if he really has a role in Boston, especially with Porzingis there. I mean, he didn't even play in the playoffs for them, and now they added another big shooting, unathletic uh, center. So, you could see them not needing Muscala anymore. Bruno Fernando from the Hawks, he's only 24, so it's kind of more of a bet. I liked him in college, but he hasn't really panned out in the league. Maybe, maybe not. Interesting one just to keep an eye on as well here from a trade exception standpoint, because here's exactly what the situation is going to be with the Suns' 5 million-ish trade exception that they have from the Dario Saric-Darius Baisley deal. They need to look for guys who are salary-wise work, but who who the options for them, the, sun, the team, uh, it might be a player option, might be a non-guarantee, whatever it is, but especially player options that the team that the player is on does not want to pay. And so if they could just offload that, you might even be able to get picks uh, in a situation like that because you're doing the team a favor you're cutting their tax bill or whatever it is and we know Matt Ishbia could care less couldn't care less about taxes uh, luxury taxes maybe other kinds I don't know I, I don't know I'm being an idiot you can take that on right and Daniel House falls into that category Daniel House is on the Sixers and he has a player option for 4.3 million dollars could you say, hey, Daryl Morey, you want to do some stuff here. You're re-signing Harden. You're maybe making some other moves. There might be some Tobias Harris stuff if possible. You want to sign somebody on the mid-level. You have a Tyrese Maxey extension, although that's not going to kick in this year. How, how would you feel if we just took Daniel House off your hands? Doc Rivers didn't even want to play him. Who knows whether Nick Nurse will. You have other options. You don't need him. Let, let us have him. I think if, if you do that, it really could, could work out. It's simply just paying for a player that the other team doesn't want to pay for. So I wanted to throw Daniel House out there. If you're looking, it has to be less than, I think it's like $4.9 million is the trade exception. So you can't take somebody back that's more than that. It can, it's not allowed. So you have to have it be that, that amount or less. There are some players who fit that. And, and, and House is one. Last, lastly here, Summer League guys. Hunter Hale and Luis Luis Olinde. 
are two summer league guys for the Suns who seem pretty interesting to me because they're a little on the younger side, they're decent shooters, and they seem to have some upside. That's literally it. I mean, and that's kind of all I'm looking for. Can you shoot? Are you at least able to stay on the court defensively? And I know I'm not watching these guys film, but you can look at steal percentage and you can look at just if they're getting minutes for decent teams, you're, you're probably looking at guys who have a chance in the NBA to stay on the court. I'm not pretending to be an expert, but that's my usual way of looking through this stuff. And Hunter Hale and Luis Alinde both seem like options. Maybe it's Louis. I don't know. Who could check those boxes? Dwayne Rankin had a good interview with Hunter Hale, who is from Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, in, in AZ Central today. I would recommend reading that just for some background on the guy, but curious. It at least seems like a, a summer league roster that's catered more toward people who might actually make the damn team than it was in the past couple of years when I honestly will tell you, I don't know what the Suns were doing in summer league the past two years. Showcasing Jalen Smith, seeing what Ish Wainwright could be, sure, but they gave, they gave contracts for that roster, those rosters to guys that had no shot in the NBA. I don't know why, I could not tell you, but I would hope this year with those two and some others can be a little bit of a pivot. I didn't talk about Tumani Kamara, Kamara, it's Kamara, um, today, but hopefully he will play summer league almost without a doubt, and you know we'll, we'll learn more about him in time. That'll wrap us up. I hope those segments don't just come off as listing names, but look, that's kind of the part of the calendar that we're in. So a little bit of perspective on, on availability, a little bit of trade exception stuff for you there, and that workout should be interesting as well. I'll be back on Thursday, hopefully, with a guest about talking about Frank Vogel. He might have some thoughts on some other stuff if any other news arises, and then we'll close out the week with Aaron Edwards to get you ready for free agency. Probably have some bonus shows over the weekend as the Suns sign players. So hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding this show. We're free and available everywhere, every day throughout the offseason and beyond. And I will catch you guys tomorrow.